When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So in every issue of Rolling Stone magazine, we have a feature called The Last Word. It runs on the back page, and it's a chance to get some wisdom from some of the most famous people in music and more. In a recent edition of The Last Word, Andy Green spoke with Sammy Hagar, and we're going to play that interview in a couple minutes. And we also have Andy Green in the studio right now. Hey, Andy. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Besides Sammy, what are some of the favorite Last Word interviews you've done? You've done a bunch of them. Yeah, I've done a bunch. I did Stephen King. That was a lot of fun. He's just so funny and so smart. He was really into the whole thing. Did he have any music comments? He's a big Springsteen fan and Mellencamp. He worked with Mellencamp. Yeah, when I talked to him one time, he went on and on about how much he loves The River by Bruce Springsteen. That's one of his favorite lyrics. He was really good about that. Hmm. Is a dream a lie if it don't come true or is it something worse? Something worse is like it. That's, yeah, that's, basically, that's what yeah. <laughs> what, what are the other ones? I spoke to Carrie Fisher three or so weeks before she passed away and we talked about her death in it and it was intense then but afterwards it got really intense yeah it ended up getting a lot of attention that was uh, one of those weird things it's, it's a it's a good interview people should look that up thank you and then so Sammy you have actually a relationship with Sammy Hagar yeah I interviewed Sammy at least 12 times or so through the years <laughs> and every time you ask him about the status of his relationship with the Van Halen brothers. Yeah, which is the first thing that he says to me now when he calls me up. When I answer the phone and it's Sammy, he goes, Andy Green, are you going to force me to uh, talk this time about Van Halen? And, and I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much the same answer every time, although now I think it, it's evolved he slightly, right? He changes it a little bit each time, but he's always very willing to talk about it, which is funny. It's a band he's been out of for 13 years. It's very awkward. It's a painful part of his life in some ways. He hasn't talked to Eddie in 13 years, but he's so he's so willing to just go there. He does not care, which was part of what makes him so special is that he doesn't give a shit. Right. His autobiography is really, really great in part because it's such a sort of vicious tell-all about uh, Eddie Van Halen in particular. And I, I have to say, I think both of us have a soft spot for Sammy Hagar, who is one of the most maligned frontmen in the history of rock and roll or any genre. The very term Van Hagar like signifies garbage to a lot of people. And admittedly, there were a lot of songs with the word love in them that, <laughs> that kind of blend yeah. together. And but, I don't know, there's like a million. But I don't care what you say. Yeah. What's frustrating is they've erased him from their history. When they, right. they tour with Dave, they act like the band existed from 70-whatever until 84, and then again in 07. There's no acknowledgement that there was a Sammy Hagar. But there was a Sammy Hagar. There's yes. some guy you speak to frequently. Yes. And yes. I, I once did a story, and weirdly, yeah. it's one of my favorite stories. I did a story on the band Chicken Foot, which was a super group of uh, <laughs> Sammy Hagar, Joe Satriani, Satriani um, and also Michael Anthony. 
and Chad, and Chad, Smith. Chad from the Chili Peppers, who who really does look just like Will Ferrell, and for a man who was already middle aged, acted like an absolute lunatic through the entire reporting of the story. And I will say that uh, you know I rarely care about being invited to the after party or whatever. Mm-hmm. The only thing I really wanted to go to is at the end of this long day I spent with Chickenfoot, uh, Mario Batali, because Sammy's yeah. deeply in the food world. You talk about sure, this a little yeah. bit. Sammy's a real foodie, um, and Mario Batali was going to invite them back to one of his restaurants and cook for them after hours and that was the only thing I wanted to go to and of course they were like see you later (laughs) but Sammy's a a really nice guy and I always think also about when Van Halen was inducted into the Hall of Fame and he was one of the only people who showed up and they did people have the power and there was a moment when the vocals went from him to Patti Smith and he said you know what he's saying his ass off like let yeah. Sammy Agar be on that stage next to Eddie Vedder and Michael Stipe and it was (laughs) it was awesome and the one bummer about Chickenfoot is when they toured, they couldn't do Van Halen songs because they didn't want to make Joe Satriani play Eddie's parts. But his current band is Sammy Hagar and The Circle, where it's is like Michael Anthony on bass from Van Halen and Jason Bonham on drums from Led Zeppelin. So they do Van Hagar songs, they do Zeppelin songs. And it's a really cool show. And Sammy has a a lot of money and and maybe a tiny bit of an inferiority complex because people diss him. He once complained to you he never gets to play Bonnaroo, he never gets to play Coachella, he doesn't yeah. quite get why, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of frustrating to be Sammy Hagar in some ways. He's had so much success, but he doesn't get asked to play anywhere or anything, you know. He's forced to play casinos a lot. It just bums him out, I think. Though this summer he's playing Sheds with Sammy Hagar and the Circle. And in this interview, he kind of gets at that a little bit, the frustration of, like, the heat coming off you as, as you age and enter a certain place in, in pop culture. I'm sure there's a whole generation who's not quite sure who, who he is, actually. Yeah, and he's very honest about that. He's very honest that he's way past the peak of his fame, <laughs> and he only has a few years left. Because he's much older than people realize. He turned 70, really, Soon. Are you trying to talk us out of playing this interview? No, <laughs> no, I love him. I adore Sammy Hagar. He's the funniest guy in the world. I think him and Noel Gallagher are my two favorite people to talk to on the phone. So at the beginning of this interview, what what do you ask him about? Where do you get into? I start asking him about the best part of success and the worst part of success. All right, so let's get right into it. Here's Andy Green and Sammy Hagar. All right, so let's start simple. Can you tell me the can you you tell me the best part of success and the worst part of success? Well, I almost don't think there is a worst part. Um, the best part of success is that you get to have a dream, and then success is when you accomplish it. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing for anyone to do when that happens is now live it. You know, you if you a lot of people get their dreams and then they're disappointed. It's not what they expected, or they thought there was more to it. And of course, all that is part of it. It's not what you would expect, probably. But mm-hmm. but um, live that dream, and uh, it, it, it will make you happier than chasing another one too soon. You know, you can always have another dream. But but um, anyway, so that that's the best part of success is that you just get to live the dream you always wanted to. Or, um, yeah. The only downside, maybe, is that someday, you know, um, you're not as relevant as you were, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm at in my life now. I'm, I'm not having a hard time with it, but there's times when I go, wow. It's not, you know, it's kind of like you see it winding down, you know? It's like I'm not going to have a big hit record. I'm not going to mm-hmm. um, be this relevant 
rock star in the world kind of guy uh, probably ever again and and i don't expect to be but i mean it just it's just a little kind of like hmm now what am i gonna do i'm just gonna get old and mm-hmm. and uh die you know so that that's kind of a letdown you know I mean, it's like uh some people can't deal with that as yeah. you can see so, so, so when you see a young rock star that's complaining, oh, I'm sick of the of the pictures of me. I'm sick of all the attention. I'm sick of all the of. I, I just want to be normal again. I want to be left alone. Do you, you have any sympathy? For no, that? no, <laughs> no. It's like, well, guess what? Just keep that shit up, and and it won't be, and it'll be gone pretty soon anyway. <laughs> right, and and then you're probably gonna go. Well, damn, you know, <laughs> where to go? Where yeah. you had it back? Yeah. Um, you know, the the the, the workload of, of the climb is it can be it can be tough, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you got to go out on tour if you got a family and all that. So, you know, there's there's uh, some things that are kind of man, I'm kind of tired of this, but we'll take a break, you know. That's right. what I always do. So, tell me the important rules you live by. Oh, treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Keep your finger on where you started, uh-huh. and don't ever lose sight of that. Uh-huh. And, um, Hi, and and I don't know, family, family over fame and fortune. Uh-huh. And so, why is keeping your finger on like where you came from so important? Because um, you forget who you are, and you, you you always gotta know who you are, and people that too caught up in the fame and, and fortune thing and think they're better than other people and think they're better than the people where they came from and even you, you can come right down to your family members you can turn your family members off because all of a sudden they look at you like you're a different person you think you're you think you are who you are you know what I mean and what mm-hmm. you've accomplished yeah. to where that's just a thing that happens that maybe you got real lucky and something you got struck by lightning but uh, truth of the matter is that will serve you really well if you keep your finger where you started and then you go all the way to here and now if you stretch your arms out from there to there and you measure that that's how big you really are you know you've really you know grown and accomplished and you can be whole but if you're only who you are where you are now that's just a little dot and uh, that's not very big and that's not lasting and that won't serve you well so all right so tell me the best advice you ever got well, probably treat other people the way you want to be treated. You know, we're we're in the hospitality business here. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, entertainers. You know, yeah. And whether it's my restaurants or it's my you know other you know my spirits industry stuff or 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 my uh, go walking out on stage, the idea is that you are in the hospitality business. You are there if you make people happy, and that's how you can have a long career like I've had. You know, if you piss people off. And you're even a great big star. You're st- you're going to piss them off, and eventually they're going to say, you know what? I don't like that guy anymore. You know, people start growing up and say, man, I, you know, fuck that guy, right? Yeah. And, and so, longevity is all about treating people right and doing the right thing every time you step in front of people that paid money to see you or bought your product or came into your restaurant or whatever. So, the, I think treat people the way you you, you want to be treated. Uh, is a good one. I, I don't know. That's yeah. some really good advice. So when someone like Axl Rose starts the show at like midnight when the ticket says eight, I mean, that's not how he would want to be treated at a concert. I mean, it's... No, he'd be pissed off. Yeah. Uh, he'd be the first guy to leave. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be the first guy.
guy out the door probably. But <laughs> he's doing pretty good, so I, I hate using him as an example because, right. you know, Guns N' Roses is one of the you know, biggest bands in the world right now. Right. They're still going out there and still so valid. It, it's it's, um, it's right. shocking that they've got away with that. But then, but when they do deliver, they deliver. Right. And, so, and so that's probably uh, what's kind so of saved his ass. When Kanye West stops his show after two songs and then rants about politics for half an hour and then just storms off. Ah, wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Strike two. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> bad plan. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, the other advice that my manager, Ed Leffler, gave me was mm. at one time, when I was right before Van Halen, he mm-hmm. said, I'm never going to, you know, let you be the press darling. You know, like if, if they start, if everyone really liked you and they really want you to be on the cover of every magazine and be the, mm-hmm. you know, the darling of the year, he said, I would stop it. I wouldn't let you do it. Why? Uh, because he, he said that, that once you're really in and really like that, then you can only be less than that the next year. You'll be out. He goes, you know, if you're never in, you're never out. Yeah. So I never tried for all that, um, being the biggest star on the planet kind of thing, you know? Yeah, because... And, and just stay on cruise control under the radar. And I like that. Yeah, because a huge, huge, huge pop star, they come to personify like their moment in time. They're forever attached to like an era. Then when that era ends, they, they're sort of seen as passe. That can happen. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I've kind of skated... A, skated pretty clean <laughs> underneath the radar pretty right. well and it's it wasn't intentional all the time because a lot of times the press didn't give a shit about me either right. but my manager kind of at left who also managed van halen through my whole career, yeah. uh, time in there he he believed in that right you know he'd he would keep you out of the press as much yeah. as possible he a lot of times said i'd say why are we paying this publicist all this money he'd yeah. say to tell people no yeah. <laughs> so who are your heroes and why well, Elvis, man, and uh, Elvis, I just think was the was the biggest rock star of all time. Mm-hmm. And um, and so why is he your hero? Well, we should just talk a bit a about Elvis here. So why is he your hero? Well, he was just so charismatic. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. He was a great singer, especially early on, yeah. and he was such a, a a unique fashion statement. I mean, when you yeah. look at pictures of this guy when he was starting out. I mean, he was a trip, man. He was dressing far out for the days, you know. And yeah. I mean, people wanted to beat him up and stuff, you know. I mean, and he was, and I don't know, he was just such a a solo leader, you know. Like the Beatles were fantastic, but they were four guys that got away with what they were doing, and, yeah. and it was kind of. It seemed like it was a little more contrived, and every you know was people thought about it, you know. Their Epstein kind of created it, you know. Right. Where so Elvis created himself, man, and he he was such a icon. And uh, I don't know. I yeah. just think he was just it's, badass. Even when he was, you know, all old and crazy and fat and doing all them crazy things, and uh, I still loved him. <laughs> I thought he was the king. I, I don't know. It's sort of a tragedy, and, and he was surrounded by people that didn't really care about his well-being, and it killed him. I mean, yeah. Well, people they they might have cared about him. See, I, yeah. I, I think they people cared about him a lot. Everyone, I think they really loved him. Mm-hmm. It just that he was. He was a powerful guy, and they were afraid of him. Right. He, you know, we all know if you read towards how wacky he got towards the end. I mean, he'd be, beat your ass, pull a gun, and right. pull it at your head, man, yeah. in the middle of a dinner. You know, it'd be like, whoa. Right. Uh, so I think they were just afraid to tell him and, and do anything to really help him, and they were just 
I don't know. They, it was he was always breaking the mold and breaking the, you know the rules about the yeah. whole business. You know, so and he was just forty two when he died. It's unreal. He that's was, unreal. That just blows my mind. Yeah. He seemed like such an old legend. You know, right? Forty two. And so why is Paul Newman your hero also? Well, I just think he just always did the right thing. You know, <clears throat> that whole charity thing that he did and mm-hmm. stuck with it. And uh, I, I just saw him speak one time not long before he died. And he was talking about philanthropy. And it, it he had a profound influence on me as much as Elvis Presley did, mm-hmm. as much as the Stones did, as uh, and me as a person by saying he was talking about how when you're in a position to be able to help others, less fortunate people, whether it's feed them or house them or, you know, uh, just help them out with medical problems or whatever. He goes, if you're in a position to do that and you see someone that needs it, a situation, and you can do something about it and you don't, it's like, I don't know. He just said, you know, basically, I couldn't live with that. He goes, you know, once I saw it and knew I could help, then you have to do it. It's just part of, uh, you know, the, and, and I just thought it was just so cool. The way, it just the way he said it hit yeah. me like, holy shit, I better start looking around because uh, I don't want to have to someday go, man, what did you do for anybody? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so <clears throat> it changed my life uh, and put me on a, on a trail of seeing what I can do to help other people. And my two biggest things are feeding people number one the simplest thing you can do food banks all over the country they're awesome you give them a dollar they can make three meals out of it it's you know and yeah. and, the, and the cool thing about f- food banks is that there's people now many of them it's not just about a homeless you know a, a, a person that's you know street lives in the street it's about families that work husband mother whatever they work they got three or four kids they can't make ends meet but on that month where they say well this month i gotta pay the insurance bill or uh or i gotta pay the rent or whatever it is and they're short with food they can go down the food bank and collect food and and eat and uh, i just think that that's pretty awesome because when i when i go on tour i give money to every town i play for the last nine years i've been to that mm-hmm. and I, I go down to the food bank sometimes on a day off to give them the check and to help hand out food because I want to see what's going on. And I see so many families now, clean-cut people, drive up in their car and all the kids, and they get out and they fill up their bags and they go home and they, and they give them really good food, I mean, mm-hmm. vegetables and stuff. So, uh, boy, that one's a big one for me. And then mm-hmm. when I can, I like to help children or families that have a, a terminally ill child that have run out of... Mm. medical yeah that is the saddest thing on the planet uh, yeah. so to me but it's so damn expensive that i help maybe one or two people like that a year is all i can yeah. afford with my uh, it's i do it with my restaurant business right so, all right so tell me the music that still moves you the most blues <laughs> blues so r&b you know, old R&B, Otis Redding, mm-hmm. and you know, and then you listen to John Lee Hooker or, or Lightning Hopkins or, or Jimmy Reed. Mm-hmm. Listen to James Brown. Oh fuck! I just I got goosebumps on my whole body just now. It's just saying his name because last night I was watching my Access TV show and and uh, they showed an ad. They got a James Brown special coming up, and seeing that bad mother fucking hit that stage and start dancing and giving it up and screaming and hitting the 
yeah. leading the band, going down on his knees, back up, splits, back up. Man, there was nobody better than James Brown. Right. I mean, he is the man. Yeah, I think he was very ahead of his time. That people back oh. then they couldn't even fully like comprehend just what was happening. It was so overwhelming. And he invented the shit too. Just think yeah. about that. What he was playing. He he said. I, of course, I've read every book and done everything. You know, because I just studied the guy because he was. <laughs> God, I mean, he was so illiterate and. But he, he knew he knew how to get it done somehow. A little tough guy to work with, I guess. But yeah. when you read his book, no, when you read his horn player's book, um, yeah. uh, what was that guy's name? The trombone player. Um, when you read his book, it, yeah. it makes you not like James Brown anymore until you see him again. And on TV, you see a performance like the Tammy Show or something, and then you go, "Fuck that guy! James is a bad mother." Right. But <clears throat> he said every instrument was a drum. So he, you playing guitar, you playing a drum beat, you're playing, you know, you're not playing like a guitar, man. Yeah. Every instrument was a drum, and it's fucking amazing. And he was mean to the band, Oh, but they were so afraid of him that he got results. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he got results. The tightest band in history, man. <laughs> right. Because yeah, they'd be charging money if they'd won, if they were, they were off by one half second, they would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was probably his way of just saving money, too, every now and then. Say, right. yeah, I only got a couple extra, but I can't afford to pay the band, so I'm going to fine them. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, nah, he, oh, fuck, man. That yeah. still inspires me and still just yeah. warms my heart, man. So tell me your favorite city in the whole world. My, oh, favorite city? Yeah. Wow, that's really a tough one. Uh, Florence. Why? It's just so artsy and great restaurants and just great ambience and all the, you know, I could say Rome or Paris and all that because they all have all the same thing, but I just like the ambience of, uh, of Florence. I wouldn't call Sardinia, uh, uh, the, um, what is it, the coast of Smaralta area up there. I wouldn't call that a city, but that area might be my favorite area in the world. Why? But, uh but uh, just for a city, I'd, I'd go to Florence every time I had a chance. All right. So tell me the advice about the music industry that you wish that somebody gave you back when you started. Oh, man, to be yourself. Totally be yourself. Stop copying other people. Don't be looking at try, trying to sing like some other guy or trying to sing uh -huh. like Mick Jagger or Otis Redding or anybody. I mean, I guess you got to do that. Yeah. But, like, hear what you want to sound like in your head. Mm-hmm. And hear the kind of music you want to play. Hear it in your head and just start trying to do that. How about advice about the business side of the music business that you wish that, that you'd gotten back when you started? No, I'm cool with all that. Really? Uh, I, I think if I would have made it overnight, like my first album would have mm -hmm. exploded uh, and I would have been, you know, sold platinum and yeah. became a millionaire my first year in the business, mm -hmm. that probably could have ruined me but I'm not sure if anything could have ruined me because I'm driven like a son of a gun. Yeah. And if fame and fortune don't, they don't satisfy me. It's not like uh, that's what I'm really out for. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something else that I get from um, success that's just, I don't know if anybody else gets it, but, you know, um, I don't know. I, I'm very, very driven to do things and accomplish things. I like the accomplishment. Probably if I'd have been... A, uh, wouldn't have been what I am. I think I probably could have been an athlete because huh. I'm competitive with myself. You know, I would, I'm always push myself and say, well, you know what? I wonder if I could do that. You know, just like, like a, keep pushing on my TV show because I'm in love with having my own TV show. I'm loving right. this to death, 
and I just had dinner with Mark Cuban night before last, and he, and, he, and he, we shook hands. No, I'm you. I want your third season, fourth season. You know, like I'm loving this show you're doing and killing it for us. You know, blah blah blah. Wow. And I'm I, I said to myself a couple of years ago, I'm going. Hmm, what do we want to do? And I, I woke up and said, you know, I think I want to try a TV. You know, wow. not acting, but a TV show, like a host of some kind, or uh, you know, create a show and uh, and. So anyway, I did, and, and it's successful, and it, I'm just loving it. It's rewarding. It's just like, wow, I actually pulled it off. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of it's cool. So I'm a little screwy like that, so I don't think um, I, I missed anything. All as right. Far as so tell me the most indulgent purchase that you've ever made in your whole life. Oh, my fucking plane, man. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Like what kind of plane? A Challenger Bombardier Challenger 300. And holds nine people. It goes seven and a half hours in the air at 525 miles an hour. So it's very indulgent, and it's for, it's a huge luxury. It costs a lot, and it costs a lot to operate. Uh-huh. But without it, I couldn't do half the shit I do. And how long ago did you get it? Uh, this year will be my fourth year. I bought it for my birthday um, four years ago in October. Wow. Three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things. It was like... I, I can afford it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh boy, you're really taking a chance there. But I feel kind of guilty, you know, spending that much money on something for myself because mm-hmm. I'm at a point in my life where I'm, I don't care about doing that much for myself. Mm-hmm. It's more about doing for others. You, you get a lot more out of that. And, right. But um, but but now that I've done it, see, I realize I can say, oh, I can just. If I had to jump on a commercial flight two days ago to go to Dallas to meet with Mark Cuban, yeah, I wouldn't have went. Right. <laughs> I said, "Fuck you, I ain't coming." You know? But and and same with touring. You know, same with you know going out on tour. If I had to be on right. a bus and, and commercial flights, and you know, I couldn't tour the way I do. I I, I can jump from East Coast to West Coast. It don't matter. So, right. um, it allows me to spend more time with my family and spend more time on creative things. So it's a it's a great project. I met Warren Buffett. About five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, before I bought this plane, I was flying um, net jets. I was doing charters, but it yeah. wasn't wasn't my plane. So uh, he asked me to speak at his summit for his GE summit. He has for all of his thousand uh, CEOs and presidents of all his companies. And so I, I spoke, and he, he we were talking about things about how. You know, he he had a hole in his shoe. He had two different socks on. Yeah. He, you know, he was just totally walking around with a six pack of cherry coke, and, and <laughs> his fucking hand under his arm, and they're just a down home guy that has no luxuries. But he said his only luxury is that he has a plane, uh-huh. and he told me that. I didn't ask no question. We were just talking. So, you know, what do you call a luxury? And he, so anyway, he said to be able to accomplish what I can accomplish, I have to be able to get on my plane and leave when I want and get there when I want and all, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he said, that's the only luxury I, I have. And yeah. I said, wow. And I so I said, fuck it. <laughs> my plane. Yeah, but that's <laughs> pretty good advice. He also told me, I yeah. said, hey, so Warren, if I, you know, have a few hundred thousand bucks and I wanted to make some money with it, what would you do? You know, he, I said, give a guy some advice here. And yeah. he's going, well, reach in your pocket and pull the money whatever you have out and fold it in half and he just doubles your money <laughs> <laughs> what a prick huh yeah, God. <laughs> now, but the cost of the fuel alone on, on a plane has got to be insane sometimes right yeah it is but you know I, I fly my whole family around and I fly my band around and, oh, yeah. and I fill it up so it's 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 comparable with commercial yeah. except 
we get there on time and we don't have to wait in line. You don't have to go leave four hours early. Yeah, yeah. You know, <clears throat> so the time savings and all that to me equals out. And uh, like I say, my philanthropy's gotten to the point where I, it's it's very generous right now and has sure. been for nine years and and right. so I, I feel pretty good about all what right. I do for other people and no, so of course. I just, my, my only luxury I got it and in this clip we begin with Andy asking Sammy about his fitness routine because why not I wake up in the morning and yeah. I do 50 push-ups and I do 100 crunches mm-hmm. next to my bed and then I stretch myself out good wow and that's that's been going on for a long time and uh, my wife and I, we walk all over the place, man. It's like I used to run. I can't really run much anymore. I don't yeah. want to kill my ankles and knees because I've had no replacements, thank God, because I've been a runner my whole life. Mm-hmm. So now we just kind of hike uphill. We live in the mountains or, or when we're in Cabo or, or Hawaii. We, we walk on the beach uh, a lot. Like in, in Cabo, we wake up in the morning, do my thing. We'll, we'll maybe have a little coffee, a little breakfast, and then we go for couple mile walk on the beach we dig around in the rocks you know and, and find shells and you know just have a outdoor thing and then you know after dinner or sometimes right before dinner depends on how things are going we do it again and yeah. it's that's i just stay active if i if i see an elevator and there's only four three or four flights of stairs i take the stairs wow you know that's the simplest thing you can do on the planet and sometimes i skip a stair you know right. just for fun just to show okay. that my old ass can still do it so describe the best meal you've had your whole life oh fuck uh-huh. oh, now you're killing me sorry, sorry. <laughs> well i'm not sure i can think of one that uh-huh. was the absolute best but um i had a damn good meal in um but it's Seville, Spain, uh-huh. last summer. That was at a restaurant where they had just the Iberico ham that they had was just not like I've ever had in America mm-hmm. anywhere. And and then um, these Iberico <laughs> pig cheeks that were grilled uh, and this kind of just a little mustard sauce the guy made. And I'm just trying to describe what, trying to remember yeah. everything that I had. Wow. Uh, and then we had just some kind of a like a paella but it wasn't like traditional paella it was just a rice dish that was made with things and uh i just you know ate about everything on the menu just the way their bread was mm-hmm. everything about that the, the olive oil that they had it was really a high-end restaurant it was very expensive and i had a uh 75 vega cecilia unico uh with it which is one of the greatest bottles of wine ever made, in my opinion, and it, that that was pretty much when I when I left that place. You know, my wife and I we just went, wow, that was a good meal. And huh, do you you know the name of the restaurant or anything? No, hell okay. no. It, it was recommended by the person that's maitre d at the hotel, and uh-huh. and it was just it was super, super duper high end, probably too expensive. Even if I knew the name, probably wouldn't tell you because I wouldn't recommend anybody going there unless they had a thousand, maybe right. seven fifty uh, a person. Yeah. <laughs> in their pocket, maybe more uh, to to uh, do it, you know. But okay. but but I'll say. But my favorite thing to eat, I think yeah. my favorite, you know, in my book, in my book, are, are we have any fun yet? Which is my kind of a yeah. lifestyle cookbook. Mm-hmm. I said my last meal. I'm in prison. You know, yeah. they're gonna put me <laughs> put me down. Uh-huh. Uh, I would take osoboko, which uh-huh. is veal shank, you know, uh, braised veal shanks uh-huh. with the marrow in the middle. 
over linguine, not, uh-huh. not with risotto. I don't like the saffron risotto. I like linguine yeah. with, with a little bit more sauce so that it's uh, kind of a little, little bit soupier than normal. Uh-huh. and Not soupier, but, you know, a little bit less, uh, I mean, more juicy. And uh, with a great loaf of Italian uh, bread uh-huh. and, with, and with a probably an 85 Conterno Barolo. Yeah, would make me very happy. That would uh, be. Do you do you trust the prison to not screw that up? <laughs> no, I would make them. I'd say, hey, I want to cook it. You know? Okay, <laughs> man, I got my I got that recipe in my book. Are you kidding? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a real gourmet chef. I, you know, yeah. I, I could blow your mind, and you no. people can't believe it when I have people come over. I've cooked for Emma Lagasse. I've yeah. cooked for Mario Batali. Mm-hmm. I've cooked for Julian Serrano. Mm-hmm. You know, uppity chefs and. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I blow their mind. Huh. So your youngest kid is 16. Yes, sir. And two weeks ago. Did you did you teach her how to how how to drive? Oh yeah, she's she's drives all over the place already. Mm-hmm. She grew up. Um, we have two homes that have um, one has a in Cabo that has ATVs, you know, and uh-huh. you can ride them all over the beach. And so she grew up since she's seven, eight years old, driving ATVs. Mm-hmm. And and in in Me- I mean in uh, Hawaii we have a a um, like a golf cart for the because it's a big property and it's got a yeah. little you know it's like a pickup truck golf cart you know for the gardener to use mm-hmm. and when my kids have been driving that thing forever and so they learned hand and brake coordination both my girls and and so they they took to driving so well the second we got behind the wheel in a big car yeah. you know and said okay we're gonna let you drive down this dirt road or here we're gonna let you drive on this little side street it was just mind blowing I'm going wow these kids they really learned something Hi. you know. It's like video games. People that play video games, you know, like guitar yeah. and all that. Right. And they pick up a guitar and they can damn near shred. You're going, how the hell did you learn that shit, you know? Do you feel Do you feel differently about speed limits if it's your daughter driving? <laughs> <laughs> nah, you know, that's a tough one. I, right. I, you know, I care so much about my kids. Something happened to them. It right. uh, could crush me. But, but, you know, I think, yeah, when I'm driving, mm-hmm. in the kind of cars I'm driving, if I'm driving a... You know, my LaFerrari, for instance, the things it can do at 100 miles an hour, right. some big tractor trailer can't do at 5 miles an hour. Right. You know, it's safer. And so, I mean, I hate to say it like that, like I'm prejudiced, like, hey, I'm right. better than you. But no, no, my car <laughs> is capable. And if you know how to drive, you're you're driving safer sometimes when you look like you're being reckless. And some right. guys are just cruising down the street at 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So describe your parenting style. Are you a stern dad? Are you a fun dad? What kind of dad are you? Oh, I'm you? big fun. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I wrestle my kids and tease my kids and goof off with my kids all the time. But I'm really stern. My wife and I, she's even more stern to me. We um, we just don't take any nonsense. My kids aren't allowed to lie to me. You know, that's uh-huh. number one. Do, don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. And you, if you lie to me and I find out, you're going to get punished worse than if you just told me the truth and it was something that really pissed me off. But um, so I got this little policy with my kids, and and that really matter. It really changes things. So they don't lie to me. So if they don't lie to me, then so they're afraid to do things that they're going to have to tell me about. And it's it's a real interesting way to raise kids without having to use the iron fist. You have a rule. We don't lie in this house, you know, and we treat people the way we want to be treated. And so it's kind of like if you can embed that in them from a young age, mm-hmm. you don't have to discipline them as much. Because like I said, my daughter, 
she just don't want to do anything, that she's going to have to come home and tell me eventually. <laughs> so it really helps. I mean, you know, yeah. and, and, but that's kind of our style. It's kind of like anything goes. You do, you do what you want to do, but you're going to have to tell me about it. Because if we find out about it, oof, you know, they know, you know, we, we, we follow through. That's the other thing. You follow through. You threaten something, you better be prepared to do it, you know. Huh. So how do you feel about turning 70 soon? Fucking out of sight, man. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'd have thought when I was 30 that if things would be like this at 70, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been so worried about anything. Not that I was worried, but I mean, you know, sit there and say, gee, you know, you get insecure every now and then go, wow, I wonder what I'm going to do when I'm 50, you know, or what I'm going to do when I'm 60. Like, what What if I, you know, have to do something? You know, you sit there and think, wow, what if I, I need to go back to work or something? And I can, you know, piece of cake, man. I can do anything at 70 that I can think of that I could do at 50 and maybe 40. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not in my 30s. I, I don't jump over fences and, like I said, I don't go, you know, running eight mile run up the mountain and back, you know. Uh, but, I don't know. I can sing as good. I play guitar as good. I can. I'm, I'm functional. I'm. You know. I've have mm-hmm. sex probably as much as I ever did. You know. And uh-huh. and uh, I don't know. I, I feel pretty good about seventy. So I'm not sure. When, when I was growing up, my grandfather, when he was seventy, he was fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I look back and think, wow. I don't know. I don't know if they felt like I felt in his head or not, but he sure didn't look and act like it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard Howard Stern talk about how rich 70 is very different than poor 70. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I, I don't get it. How about if I say that about being 70? I don't get it. I really don't. I'm going, I don't know. It's it, Like, you know, they say this, you know, you hear that silly shit, you know, 60s, uh, the new... Mm-hmm. Uh, 40 or whatever. Yeah, 40, yeah. Man, 70 is like, to me, still 40. <laughs> it's like, at 60, I felt a little bit, um, like, not as limber as I normally be. And everybody's trying to tell me for the last 10 years, oh, you got to take yoga, got to do yoga. I yeah. can't fucking do yoga. That's the most boring thing in the world, <laughs> other than the view in some of those yoga studios. But uh, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, uh, I can't, I just can't. Uh, get loose as much as I, you know, used to be. I can, you know, right. just feel stiff, you know, wake up in the morning and feel stiff. So there you go. That's the only difference. All right. So I think that you've been married for about 22 years, right? 26. Oh, wow. 26. So yep. tell me the secret to a long marriage. Uh, being in love with your wife or your, your mate, your partner. Um, mm-hmm. Without that, then it just becomes a kind of a complacent relationship, you know, just get get into habits doing the same thing I'll tell him okay you go your way I'll go mine all that mm-hmm. we do everything together and I refuse to um, you know like ever have separate bedrooms or separate vacations man that to me that's out it's like if you don't want to be with the person then you, then you really don't want to be with them so mm-hmm. um, I don't know it's uh, we have our fights and disagreements and all shit like everybody else but for some reason I'm just, I don't know, I'm still in love with my wife. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking she's still in love with me. She sure acts like it. Mm-hmm. And you know that's, that joke about uh, uh, some people say, uh, no, a little kid comes home from school and he says, hey, Daddy, I learned in school today that some people don't get to know their wives till after they're married, know who their wives you know, are till after they're married. And Dad goes, Sonny, it's like that all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, 
Well, that ain't the case with me. My wife is the same damn person that I met and uh, that I fell in love with. And uh, she's growing up a little bit, you know, becoming a... Uh, you know, a, a woman and saying I want things this way and I want things this that way. You know, not just riding on my r- rocket ship with me all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, um, okay, there you go. Now you you roped me into it, uh, figuring it out. Right. One of the keys to marriage is is give and take. I mean, you have to give as much thought to what your partner wants as what you want mm-hmm. and especially with men that are successful you know and you uh you think hey man I, you know, tell my band what to do mm-hmm. i tell my manager what to do i you know and, and, and i tell my employees what to do and you come home well don't try to tell your wife what to do <laughs> that shit don't work man. Right. so that's really one of the main thing is equal you is being treating each other equal and right. uh, boy there you go that's the, that's the most important thing yeah it's okay That'll, so, that'll get you a lot of. That'll get you somewhere. So the internet thinks that you are worth a hundred and twenty million dollars. <laughs> That's what's online. Mm-hmm. So then, like, what do you? So do you understand why the super rich are despised by so many people? <laughs> now that you are, are are among them, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! You know, there's some super rich people that deserve to be. <laughs> despised and uh-huh. there are some poor people that deserve to be despised uh-huh. uh, I think it's all about how you live your life and how you treat other people and there right. goes right back down to the first question you asked me yeah uh, if uh, yeah if you have money uh-huh. and and you have the ability to help others that that you you know less fortunate and whatever degree you want to do it and whatever your pet peeve is about uh, if you do that, then no one should dislike you because yeah. um, rich people can do more for people than anyone. And if and if they do, then they should be, you know, they should be treated well for it and respected yeah. for it and not hated. Yeah. But um, you know, somewhere like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, that they give away billions of dollars yeah. to school. They build fucking schools, man. You know, and yeah. and how could you hate a guy like that? You know, it's like. Yeah. God bless you. So I think it just depends on what with it. You know, some people just are just greedy, and I hate greed more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think people that make money with money, yeah. if you want to talk about money, I think that if you just make money with money, that's a shitty way to make money, and you will never have enough, and you will never feel it. You just make a transaction. Oh, I just made 250 million bucks today yeah. in the stock market. Cool. You never even see it. You don't feel anything. You get this big ego rush, and but when somebody walks out on stage and sings their ass off and fucking performs themselves into a to where when they walk back they're done, they're lay down and they've given it all, mm-hmm. and they get paid well for that. Well, that's one way to make money, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and and go out. I'd rather say I'd rather go out and dig a ditch with a shovel, <laughs> and say just give me my money, yeah. and and say okay, I earned this money, I feel good about it. Then to have somebody just say, guess what? Give me five bucks, and I'll give you ten back. You know, and you put it on the table, and you get ten back. Say woo! You know. Yeah. You know that's fun money, but uh, it just I, I it's hollow. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, do you think at all, A, we've got retirement for, out of music in like five years, ten years, or do you just want to keep going forever? Do you, do you think at all about stopping? Oh, hell, I, I have no idea. You know, like I said, who would have thought 
I was at 70 years old. I'd be planning his big birthday bash in okay. in, in Mexico in Cabo with, you know, uh, I'm putting on a big festival this year, and, and we're you know going to have all these people come down and join me like they always do. But now it seems like everybody will be able to get in, get a ticket. You know, maybe if we get this thing done, we're trying to get a big outdoor festival thing going for my 70th. And mm-hmm. I, I man, when I was 30, I didn't think I would be singing when I was 50. And when I was 50, I didn't think I'd be singing when I was 70, that's for sure. So, uh, you know, as long as I can still sing and perform up to standard, up Mm -hmm. to my own standards, and certainly be competitive with my my age group, that's for sure. I ain't worried about that, actually. I want to be competitive with the 30 to 40-year-olds. So as long as I can do that, then I don't see any reason to stop because it's really fun and cool and my fans love it. But uh, never, if I start uh, feeling like I'm just doing it for... Mm -hmm the wrong reasons like would be for just for money which it's not or just to keep my fans happy or something but i wasn't enjoying it i I wouldn't do it i'll just quit when i don't enjoy it anymore all right and the charity show you're doing is a pretty amazing lineup with with like with uh, james hatfield and all those people yeah james can't make it this year but it's about four minutes but uh dave grohl stepped in you know i'm always like to keep kind of like the same vibe i'd like to have at least one female artist i'd like to have Mm -hmm. two but for right. some reason, female artists are the hardest ones to get. <laughs> I don't know what it is about. I guess it's because it's pre- it's pre- presented by Sammy Hagar and James Hetfield, and so the right. female artists go, "Yeah, I don't want to be with their yeah. guys, with their crowd. I don't want to walk out in front of them and tell right. their crowd." But um, uh, Sarah McLaughlin this year, and, and like say Dave Grohl, McFleetwood, Bob Weir, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Vai, uh, Don Felder. Wow. Am I missing somebody? It's it's like it's eclectic as hell. Oh, yeah. Pat Benatar, and Neil Geraldo, it, it, yeah. It, it seems to build every year and get bigger and bigger. It's pretty amazing. Well, because everyone that does it, mm-hmm. they go around telling everybody how great it was because yeah. it's so much fun. You only have to play three songs acoustically, right. and then you end up coming out with other people, and it turns mm-hmm. into an event that's not even planned. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I don't say who's doing anything. It right. always takes a life of its own, and it's just I, if it wasn't for the cobble wobble, Andy, I, for me having to do this every year for my birthday, having mm-hmm. all these crazy eclectic people, Kenny Chesney, Toby Keith, you know, Slash yeah. over here, right. uh, you know, uh, Vinnie Paul from, from hell yeah, Pantera, you know, yeah. it, it, it's like you're good, just trying to put all these people together. If it wasn't for all that experience, this thing would scare me to death, but I know how to do it now, and, and it's it's you just get a bunch of people in the room, right. and everybody starts goofing off, and just say, hey, that sounds great. Why don't you guys do that duet, you know, or just walk out in the middle of of uh, James Hetfield's song and play the solo real quick, you know. Joe Satriani walks out and plays a solo, leaves, you know. It's just it's something great, yeah. and I like what it's for. In this next clip. Andy asks Sammy the question that he's asked Sammy maybe 11 times, but this time it gets a slightly different answer. It's about the prospects for a Van Halen reunion. Let's hear what he had to say. Super quick. The last time you spoke to Eddie Van Halen in person, that was 04? Was the last show of the tour? Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. The closest thing we had to a conversation was mm-hmm. I wished him a happy birthday two Absolutely. years ago. And yeah. He, and he and I said, I hope you're doing good. He got back and said, I'm sure I'm sure his his publicist or his mm-hmm. social media person probably did it, but with his blessings, I'm sure. And he said, uh, um, hey, thank you. I hope you're doing well, too, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I see these stories on the Internet about every six months about how there's, how there's secret plans for a big reunion tour with Sammy. It's always like talked about but it, it always seems to be based off of nothing 
Yeah, it is with me. Yeah. I, I, I haven't talked to anyone. I'm not reaching out. Okay. I did my radio show. Did you see my radio show or hear about my radio yeah, show? Yeah, when you my... made the set list, right? Yeah, I said, here's would be the ultimate Van Hamster. I'm going to tell you here. Yeah. I'll tell you exactly what my dream would be. If, yeah. if I said, let's do this, here's, here's the way... I'm interested. Okay. This, you want to, you, you tell me you're interested in doing it this way. I'm there. I'll get on my plane, come straight down, sit at the table with you, and, and we'll discuss this and try to make it happen any way we can. And that would be Sam and Dave, Mike, Al, and Eddie. Yes. That's it. Wolfie's band, open, I don't care, yeah. whatever. Eddie, you can come out and play with Eddie during his solo. This is about the Van Halen that really matters i think you know and it's that that's the combination and i would instead of trying to do duets with dave i I wouldn't even try to push that button i'd say no no dave you go out and play two songs walk off the stage i walk out i'll do two songs i'll walk off you do two songs can you imagine the 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 competition of that like you know dave goes out and does jump uh ain't talk about love okay what the fuck? I got to rock out there and go, whew, shit, you know. <laughs> uh, right now, why can't this be love? Okay, yeah. great. You know, I mean, you, you get a set list like that going. I go out there and, you know, and then blow out, you know, something like, like you know, good enough, yeah. the opening track from 5150. Yeah. And, then you know, Dave's got to come out with, ain't talk about love now. You better, you know, you got to yeah. hit it hard. And, and you better be good. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. don't be just bullshitting your way through this. I think it would create the best Van Halen show that could possibly be done today. And I would be all for it, and I would give my money to food banks if they would do the same, if they had matched my funds. Mm -hmm. I'll do it any way they want to do it. And uh, uh, I would love to put that foreclosure on there and give the fans the greatest Van Halen show that could possibly happen today. And then say, okay, now I still don't like you guys. (laughs) Okay, so percent odds that happens. I think it could happen in a second. I, I think there's so much money involved yeah. that somebody will make it happen. How about that? Wow. Because, you know, hey, the promoters, the managements, the the uh, T-shirt guys, the, the, the uh, you just yeah. name it. Well, and the vendors and like Irving Azoff is a pretty smart guy. You think he's, he's just not a smart guy? He's the smartest guy. He's the smartest guy, and he knows how to make money. So hopefully, he can get through to Eddie and is like, just stop being a fool, make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really think it's kind of inevitable. And if it doesn't happen, well, it's getting kind of late now. You know, it's like if this doesn't happen, uh, the, at least the get go by next year. You yeah. know, uh, I, I just. I just don't think, hey, at 75, here I go saying, pre- making predictions again. Yeah. At 75, I don't think I want to do a Van Halen Right. <laughs> but at 71, sure, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You've been listening to Andy Green and Sammy Hagar. Andy, final thoughts on that interview? I think the reunion is probably not going to happen. Mm, we'll see. We, we had a whole screaming match about that on, a, on another episode, and perhaps we will again. Anyway, so this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week at 1 p.m. here on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us as a podcast and do us a favor and leave us a great review on iTunes. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.